Okay, so welcome all of you to our final installment in the series of Ontologies and Knowledge Management for Decision Support. It's been a, um, a very interesting series and kind of a lot of uh, speakers from, from varied areas talking about the intersection of these disciplines that, that was part of the reason for the exploration of, and for the launch of this mini-series. So I'm just going to um, walk through some of these slides, but uh, I know Peter asked for questions to be held at the end. Um, I'll answer questions at a couple of places just to make sure that we have a chance for, for some discourse um, rather than just holding them for the end, though, if that's okay, Peter. Sure. So the... In world too. So um, the uh, second slide, well, the first slide actually, the, the picture up there shows you one of our in-world events. Part of the um, the experiment with this series was we also wanted to expand how we're looking at collaboration. And so for those of you who have been participating, and I appreciate those of you who have come in-world, either as an experiment or um, because this is something that you normally do for the virtual world of Second Life, I appreciate it. And that's just a picture up there of the stage and one of our earlier events. Um, and we do have quite a few people in the world today, so uh, welcome. So um, on the second slide, the, just to set the context to remind people what brought us all together into this mini-series, we really wanted to look at how to connect these two active communities, the Federal Knowledge Management Working Group and Ontolog together in a way where, where Peter and I and others, especially Susan Turnbull, could see that there was some... Um, synergy between the discussions we were having, but that in isolation these discussions um, were sort of going in a certain vein, and we thought that bringing them together would strengthen both communities. And Peter and I will talk a little bit at the end about um, sort of our reflections on that. We'd love to hear from all of you if, if that connection has been useful or helpful for you in any way. So the questions that we started out the series with and that we tried to come back to some of these questions with each of the presentations was one looking at the intersection of ontologies and knowledge management in context of decision support. So how can we think about the development and the application of ontologies into systems within the government and elsewhere that, um, that are can show sort of metrics and successes and usage in a way that is tangible for people. So we all understand the value of, of ontologies and information architectures, but trying to make sure that that value can be conveyed easily to management for funding issues um, for ontologies and taxonomies and that kind of work is sometimes difficult. So, so one of the thoughts here was how do we how do we do that in a way which shows the the deployment of ontologies into operational systems or how they benefit um, decision-making as it occurs. The second thing was really, how do we help people working in our own organizations, and again, it's a very applied kind of question, to discover useful knowledge, whether that's through navigation, through browse, through um, connecting people to people. What are the ways that organizations are doing that? Thirdly was, how can we structure information for decision support? So this is both you know, when we know what people are going to look for in the future, that's something I think we, we've got some good background in, and the community, particularly the ontology community, is very experienced in trying to be able to get people to information when we have a sense of, you're going to need to look at this trending analysis each and every month. You're going to need to um, find an expert to help you with a, 
a specific problem in the future. But more interestingly was what happens when we don't know what our, our users are going to need to look for in the future, when those queries are, are sort of either serendipitous where information where not there's knowledge discovery occurring rather than necessarily people going looking for a specific answer, people going and, and, and serendipitously finding trending and, and analysis. And also when the systems that we stand up today are used in completely different ways tomorrow for different kinds of decisions. How can we design capabilities that are flexible and robust enough to allow that ad hoc um, knowledge discovery to occur. And I'll tell a little story about um, our Phoenix mission uh, that just landed on the surface of Mars this weekend, so we're very excited here at NASA, and kind of how that, um, that structure has helped us with, um, with looking at, uh, at future missions. Uh, we looked at one of the talks was specifically focused on ontologies to prioritize scientific exchange. We also looked at using semantic technology technologies and how those are being used in the government to enable both better decision-making but also policy-making. We looked at um, virtual worlds and how we can try to start to use virtual worlds in a way that is um, business-oriented, that really focuses on ways in which they make a difference to a day-to-day -day organization. So not just a, ooh, that's kind of cool place, but, but for a day-to-day -day business need of, you know, a virtual meeting space, a place to engage the public, a place to hold meetings, all of those are, are things that I think this series has helped us to continue to mature. And then really looking at how we can um, try to put together ideas of, um, of using these ontologies and using the knowledge management for decision-making for the, the very specific um, instances that each of our agencies or each of our organizations are facing. So those are the kinds of questions that we brainstormed early on, and we're trying to see if each of the presentations throughout the series has been able to help us come to a greater understanding. And these are tough questions, and, and we never expected that we'd come out with an answer at the, at the end, but more sort of the ability to have a shared understanding or, or a greater understanding. So um, just to remind you on slide three, let me, oh, I think I'm, Jed, are you doing the slides in world? Okay. So um, on slide three, it's just a reminder of the series of talks that we've had. So we had um, eight talks through this. Uh, what was originally planned for six-month six series. We've had eight talks. The first one was really just the orientation that um, Charles White and I gave for folks to come into Second Life, get a chance to test it out. Just as a reminder, the Second Life environment and the virtual worlds that um, NASA and JPL have are available always for folks. So if you didn't have a chance to come in world and you might want to in the future, or you want to just try it out, feel free to contact us at any time. And we're happy to, to walk you through the world or, or get you oriented into a virtual world to see what it's like. Once you're there, it's a different kind of experience. <laughs> the um, second activity, so that was just a precursor for people who wanted to participate in that venue. The real kickoff of the activity was back in November when um, Peter and I talked about looking at 
uh, the context of the series and what was coming up. There was a very, very uh, well-attended session in December with our largest panel of the series, uh, looking at better, making better strategic decisions by asking if it's going to get better or worse. And that series um, really focused on looking at uh, at how factors that we're looking at um, are independent of each other. If we if we solve some of these problems of giving people access to information, does that become an information overload problem? If we have too much data, how do we handle it? Um, how do we structure it and organize it in ways that it doesn't make it worse if we're successful? Um, and trying to look at the different ways of, uh, of organizing that. And the different panelists had a variety of different um, uh, ideas about how to go about that. The uh, next session was looking at creating information in virtual space for knowledge sharing. And this was a very, I think, a very out-of-the-box <laughs> session um, with uh, Tom Sutterstrom and Marcella Oliva looking at um, how people organize and share their knowledge and how the organization of that knowledge and the way it's presented affects the discussions that occur. So when we talk about organizing information in a browsable view on a website, it drives people to, to look for information in certain ways because we present it in certain ways. If we are um, using an ontology connected to a search capability, again, it, it drives people to a certain um, certain kind of conversation. So a certain expectation of what they're going to be able to find, a certain way of navigating through that information. It really comes to play when we start thinking about how we architect physical spaces. So if we have, you know, conference rooms and, and physical offices with cubicles versus hard-walled offices with doors, that changes the way in which people interact in an office. I mean, you've all seen that. But in a virtual world, where we have no real constraints about how we want to architect things, we're able to try all sorts of experiments in how do we want to, for example, on the NASA island, how do we want to be able to put spacecraft models, um, rockets, the surfaces of other planets in context, in physical, virtual physical, <laughs> proximity to people as they're looking for information. So when you're looking for information about Mars, and we take you to the surface of Victoria Creta on Mars, it's a different kind of conversation, a different context in the conversation, a different understanding that you get, because not only are you seeing information, you're also immersed in that virtual space of Mars. So it becomes a different way of understanding. So it's a it's an opportunity for us to get a richer way of looking at uh, at the way in which you organize information and the way in which you structure it and how we bring it together for both data objects, for video, for um, for visual, and, uh, and in this case, virtual worlds. The next talk was um, from two of the, the leaders, actually the outgoing co-chair and the incoming co-chair for the Federal Knowledge Management Working Group, Giora Hadar and Michael Cole. And they looked at how, um, in their cases, how the uh, Federal Aviation Administration and the Nuclear Regulatory Commission are using knowledge management systems for decision support, focusing on some of the aviation safety and the um, storytelling programs in those organizations. And really, 
trying to make sure that they um, conveyed how they're using those to give executives information so that they can make informed decisions about policies. The next um, series discussion was focused, we, we tried to alternate and, and try to bring it back to focusing on agency, in this case it was, it was NASA as a co-sponsor of the series. And um, we had several folks coming up talking about how we organize science knowledge for discovery. So in this case, we really looked at um, using a semantic repository for distributed science teams with Rich Keller's information and his science organizer. We looked at um, the way in which we're doing earth science ontologies with Rob Raskin's work and um, using uh, suites to be able to find a community standard and how that evolves from the grassroots up and sort of his journey in that um, evolution. And then Ralph Hodgson shared how we're working with the Constellation Program, which is one of our lunar vehicles, um, and how the, we're trying to look at ontologies and interoperability for our data architecture there. Um, the last two presentations were the knowledge mapping for sense making, which was a really interesting, <laughs> this was maybe one of my favorite ones, um, which was uh, Jeff Conklin, um, Simon Buck Buckinghamsham, Eric Yeh, and Jack Park, and a very um, rousing discussion looking at the way in which we um, create cartographic layers, sort of like maps that interweave information, resources, and the challenges that we're trying to solve as we look through information sources. Um, the last talk was with um, Yoke Bankler, and this one was looking at cooperation, human systems design, and peer production. And in this case, we we're really trying to understand how humans work across disciplines um, to understand and, and synthesize work into context in their own discipline. So it's, it's bringing together things which perhaps have, have worked in separate areas using different ontologies, different vocabularies, but trying to pull those together from a human perspective into one single, air, one single understanding for analysis. So we've, we've really looked across a broad spectrum of issues that um, are in this, this area that we've explored, this intersection between ontologies and knowledge management. And in each case, we try to bring in some theory to, um, to kind of get people thinking, but, uh, but in most cases, being able to bring that back to an application. So, so trying to understand where theory becomes practice and how that can be applied in each of our organizations. So on the next slide, I really just sort of um, put together a couple of things that looked at how we are trying to bring that back together at NASA. So Andy's going to talk a little bit more in a few minutes about how this is affecting the formulation of our information and data management activities. I want to talk just a little bit about the knowledge management activities and how this is affecting but what we've learned through the series has, has affected what we're doing there. So first and foremost, it's really been insightful, and, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate all of you sharing, both in discussions and the other presenters throughout the series, looking at how people view and navigate through information spaces. So, you know, there's some things that are easy to do as you create information spaces, um, you know, on websites and through data models and data stores. And there's some things that are much more difficult to do. And sometimes you wonder if the investment 
is justified in trying to create a, uh, a richer ontology, a richer model of, of what you're trying to do. And it's been clear through the series that the work that we can do as um, information technology developers in the back end is always useful because it just becomes a savings uh, manifested over many, many users. And trying to see how people are looking at this with gen Generation Y issues, with Web 2.0 technologies, with semantic technologies, has also been really insightful to try to open up our eyes at NASA as to how we try to do these things in the future. Um, it's really informed the work we have in the ongoing work that we have in taxonomies, ontologies, and information architecture that underlie our knowledge management systems. So that as we move forward, we're in the middle of, of doing a new knowledge architecture at the agency. And it really has helped us to understand the importance of doing that um, sort of grass, grass um, roots work up front. And again, moving from theory to practice, we always want to make sure that we're pushing the envelope. Um, I think everybody wants to do that to a certain extent. We certainly do. And we want to make sure, though, that we're doing it in ways that are going to give us, you know, measured successes. So I think being able to hear from such a wide variety of speakers and see the similarities between their recommendations has been useful. And it's also been really a good experiment for us in understanding the use of how we're doing um, virtual, using virtual worlds for business. So in this case, what we're... Um, what we've uh, learned is that there are some things that are really useful when we create events in Second Life and some things that are maybe lessons learned. So <laughs> trying to get information out quickly to people, trying to be able to um, bring people in world before an event so that they can get oriented to a virtual world. All of those have been um, really useful. I'm just going to show a couple of slides here now about what we've been doing in KM at NASA, just to give context around how we're trying to bring this back um, back to play. So in this case, um, the, uh, the knowledge management environment at NASA on slide five really reaches to a broad constituency. So we have to go everywhere from internal NASA personnel to contractors, academia, our global partners in the other space organizations and the public. And we do this through a variety of integrated um, technologies and processes and policies. So everything from our NASA portal at www.nasa.gov, through our internal communities of practice, working with strategic communications, and our engineering areas on our NASA engineering network, all of these have a shared um, NASA taxonomy behind them that allows us to be able to take a single bit of information or single object and be able to repurpose it in many different ways. So we always have the gold source of information, but because we have it appropriately uh, placed within the taxonomy, we can um, use it in multiple places. So what's become clear is as we kind of move forward through this discussion in this mini-series is really trying to make sure that we have a more flexible taxonomy in the background uh, in a more global one, one that's focused more on not just our national partners, but also our international partners. And in fact, one of the outcomes is that we're now starting an uh, effort between NASA and the uh, Air Force to, and the United Nations to um, move forward with looking at an international ontology for aerospace and for space missions. And so that effort will kick off in September 
And, um, and it's one of the things that really became clear as we, as we worked through this mini-series, that that was something that would be beneficial and needed and, and look at the idea of serendipitous knowledge discovery and information query from both the public point of view but also from scientists' point of view across all of the different um, information spaces that will happen over time. On um, slide six, this just is a quick view of our Inside NASA our internal portal. And the interesting um, things that we've learned that really relate to this is um, the left-hand side there shows you, it's probably hard to see on this slide, <laughs> but it, it shows you a um, view of our browsable information architecture. And being able to tie that maybe more closely than we have in the past to our, our set of ontologies and our, our NASA taxonomy are probably something that will make it um, more useful and, and easier to update. So, and then also how we display information for people based upon their stated interests and what, they're, um, what might be useful to them and these, the different um, pieces of information that show up on their, their pages is again something that now we're going to be um, looking at more aggressively and, and trying to, to get that capability up. Slide seven shows you our communities for collaboration. And all these systems, again, are, are running on the same infrastructure with the same tools and technologies, so we don't have to reinvent things. And it's a big kudo for our NASA CIO's office who provides the infrastructure for collaboration across the agency. But the, um, and so for these communities, the way in which we um, create this information space, what we've learned through this mini-series is, is if we present content on these community pages in certain ways, it does drive the conversation in certain ways. So if we, if we predominantly show things like tasking lists and action items and um, you know, recent accomplishments, that pushes people in a certain place where they're thinking, okay, well, this is about accomplishing specific items. If we put first and foremost things like the forum discussions, um, how to find experts, people in the community, then the expectation as you come in and view this information space, this collaboration space, is that this is a space about asking questions and collaboration, about finding people and um, working together. So it's not that one is better or worse, it's simply that even something as subtle as the way in which you display information on a customizable page can drive people to certain expectations of the, um, of the space. So again, that's something that, that really got um, brought home during this uh, latest, uh, during the mini-series. So the last thing I just want to point out is um, we're continuing to work at looking how to discover knowledge in new ways. One of those is working with um, Tim Berners-Lee and his team out at MIT in the um, SASEO lab, the Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence lab and trying to um, look at how we can do a query to pull together information across these international repositories of space-related content from different countries. Um, so we have to look at, at quite a few different issues. So we're, we've been able to start pursuing that one a little bit more aggressively and then of course working with Explorer Island and our Second Life um, area for how we try to again look at architecting information spaces, in this case, physical, virtual spaces, <laughs> virtual physical spaces, um, in a way that uh, allows us to start looking at, when we talk about modeling and simulation, you can actually pull the models in in a 3D way 
it's, it's a much more um, understandable discussion that engineers have. When we are um, sitting down with the uh, with folks in um, in a, an event like a launch event or a landing, that's a completely different way of engaging with people um, than it is uh, just on a website. So, Andy, I'm going to go ahead and, and pitch to you to talk very specifically about one of what I think is our, our um, best systems, which Andy and his team developed. Um, looking at how to do uh, semantic query and finding folks. Okay, thanks, Jean. Um, want to echo some of what you said about the benefit of expanding our community out and getting input from lots of folks. I particularly like the uh, discussions on email as well. I've uh, been really beneficial. So today what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about uh, POPs which stands for uh, People, Organization, Projects, and Skills, a little bit about how it came about, and then really kind of what it means in the greater scheme of things. So I'm going to start this on uh, chart nine. And um, the background on this, without, without boring uh, too many people, I hope, is Gene uh, had a, uh, a task to build an expertise location system for the Office of the Chief Engineer here at NASA a couple of years ago. They didn't have the budget to do it, uh, to buy like an expensive uh, uh, COTS package where you fill in a bunch of forms and uh, attest to your own expertise and then people ask you questions. And um, I, sadly, in a public meeting, I piped up and said, uh, you know, that approach is ridiculous because NASA already has everything it needs to know about my particular expertise and experience, and why should I fill out a whole bunch of forms again? NASA already knows this stuff, and besides, uh, once you collect all this information, you're still going to make a phone call and ask somebody's opinion. And it was with that um, unseemly outburst that uh, the project really got launched. So essentially what we did was um, went to data sources, likely data sources that uh, were already in place. Our X500 directory has contact information in it, uh, but it also has things like your job title and your organization. And uh, we have a competency management system, CMS, that's down at Kennedy. And uh, that's a system that's already in place where uh, you, you put in what your expertise is, and that has to be validated by your supervisor. And uh, so that's, uh, th that was handy to have around. We've got um, a, a workforce inter uh, information management system. This is basically the thing that fe feeds payroll that lines up our work breakdown structure, the projects that you are charging your time to, um, in, into the payroll. So just so far, we've got who you are, where you are, what organization you belong to, what your skills are, and where you charge your time to. It started to look like, collectively, that, that was a pretty good place to start. Uh, NCRS is one data source for published papers. Um, it's not the only one. Of course, if you're a comp sci guy, you may be, or, or gal, you may be in sites here, but this was a good exemplar. So now I've got 
yeah. who you are, where you are, uh, what your job title is, what your organization is, what your competencies are, where you charge your time, and if you published any papers. So uh, we'll go on to chart 10. Um, we, uh, we basically, you know, what, but for those of you that have never worked for an engineering department, uh, especially one that writes the standards for how you do software development or uh, requirements, it's, um, it's an experience that everyone should have uh, once. Um, so, you know, we did cross matrix uh, relevance of our – everything we built, we had to tie back to a requirement and so on. And um, the – the only, I guess the only thing I really want to speak to about uh, on this chart is two things. One is what we constructed is open source pretty much soup to nuts. And um, the one thing that we wanted to make sure of was uh, once we built this, we didn't want it to be the property, and I, and I don't mean the IP necessarily, we didn't want it to be the exclusive use of the chief engineer we wanted to make sure that it was available to anyone and everyone because, as I hope you'll see, POPS is more than just uh, an application. It's sort of an instance of a way of going about solving a problem. So um, we launched the damn thing, and this is, uh, I'm chart 11. We launched it. We, just, we knew about some problems ahead of time. We knew, for instance, that uh, some of the information sources were... Uh, that we were feeding off of were civil service only. And that's a problem at NASA. We have about approximately 78, 75,000 people in our namespace. Only uh, a, a third of them, uh, a little less than a third of them, are civil servants. Uh, many, uh, I, I know Nancy's joining us from JSC. There are a lot of organizations that work more or less in a badgeless environment with our contracted employees. So not having data sources uh, that capture all of the employees' civil service as well as contracted is an issue. Um, but, you know, that, was, that, was, that, that stuff is sort of fun uh, it, because it points out uh, where you got to go and harvest up new stuff. Um, when we launched the application, there were a lot of people that said, hey, you know, there's a bunch of other uh, stuff, data sources, that we'd really like to see integrated into POPs. What about um, who's entered a problem? So it would be nice if you were looking for a particular expertise, let's say in uh, cryogenics, that someone has published a paper on it, but also maybe they published a, uh, they put in a problem report about a particular device or a particular instrument, and it would be, be handy to know that too, because maybe you're looking for an expert on on a very similar instrument or a similar device. So we got lots of input that showed that people were ready to talk about, or it was easy for people to draw the connection between the dots and say, oh, wait a minute, I got another data source we want you to query as well. And, uh, and I guess that's the point, that, that POPs uh, is a, it uses a model to do people location but it's really a polyarchical query browser where you don't have to learn a query language. It's just real easy, kind of iTunes-based, 
to be able to do a query across multiple hierarchies of applications without consolidating those op applications. And, and so that's, that's what I'm talking about today. Um, I'm going to do a demo, and um, uh, Peter, uh, Peter came up with a good idea yesterday, which I think was Peter's idea, which was to uh, just capture the thing in a movie. And that's, for those of you, Susan in particular, that, uh, and Gina has seen me talk before, I'm not one for slides, really. I would just as soon run the demo and sort of freeform it and let people ask, you know, ask people, you know, what they wanted me to do in the demo so that you'd know that there were no, you know, mirrors or smoke or anything like that. Given the diversity of the community, um, firewall issues, second life issues, and a bunch of other things, it looked like I wasn't going to be able to do that. So we cut a movie today. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to ask you folks to sort of pull the trigger on the movie when I tell you to, and I'll do a voiceover on what you're seeing, and uh, then we'll get back to the slides, and I'll go over some screenshots just to sort of affirm what it is that I think we're all going to see, and hopefully that's okay. And because you're all on mute, you don't get a chance to tell me if it's not okay. So, Andy, this is Jean. Let me just say one quick thing for the folks in World. Um, we're, we just passed out a link for the movie, and um, there are screenshots in the slides. So if anybody's having trouble seeing the movie or, or can't access it, you'll still be able to get a sense of it if you look through the slides. Okay, great. So um, if you guys could get the movie up but do not hit play yet, I will just sort of talk about what the columns are, and I'll give you a chance to do that. While, while you guys are doing that, I will say uh, a couple of other things. First, at the top of, the, of this page, you'll see logged in as Brian D. McCall. I want to thank Brian for uh, creating this movie for me today. Uh, he's our web manager here at, uh, at headquarters, and he put this little uh, movie together for me. And I just sat there and clicked a bunch of buttons. So I never, I never run pops the same way twice, so I haven't <laughs> So in a way, it'll be a little bit of a an experience for a new experience for me too. Okay, well, everyone that's looking at this really should see four columns right now. You should see a project column, uh, one that says NASA Center, one that says competency, and one that says person. The the sources for this information are under, underneath. You got WIMS, the Workforce Information Management System for the project. The X500 is an LDAP query off of, uh, off of our X500 directory down at uh, Marshall. Uh, I'm sorry, down in Huntsville, Alabama. And the competencies are off of a, a competency management system that's down at Kennedy, which is in Orlando. So we've got WIMS at, in uh, Hampton, Virginia, uh, X500 in Huntsville, Alabama, um, competency management system in Florida, I'm talking to you from D.C., and uh, let's see. I don't think there's anything else I'll talk about with this one. At the bottom, just before you hit the button that says play, you'll see that there's a, some other tabs, details, uh, social net, and alternative paths. So hopefully I'll hit each one of these. So uh, on your mark, get set, and if you would hit play, you'll see that I can scroll down, I'm scrolling down in this movie, and you can see all the projects that, that NASA has. 
and they keep on going on. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick one that I'm doing a little work for right now, Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter. And I can see these are the NASA centers. I've, I filtered the query that say, here are the NASA centers that are involved with LRO. Now, I can move that column to NASA center off to the side and change the aspect of the query. And then the projects are all the projects that are shown at Goddard. I can look for a competency like cryogenic engineering and pick a person, in this case, Jeffrey, and I can get information about Jeffrey. Boy, this thing is moving fast. Um, I'm going to try an alternate way of getting information. I'll blank out NASA Center. I'll blank out competency and say, what other projects is Jeffrey working on? And um, what are the uh, competencies that are in there? If I want to see who has the same skill or the same department as Jeff, I can get sort of this nice touch graph view. Or same skill project and facility, I can get a different view. And then this is sort of uh, experimental. I can say, okay, take a guess. Tell me who I know that this person knows in common. Because like I said, eventually I'm going to call somebody up. I'm going to ask Bob if, uh, if he's worked with Jeff and if Jeff knows how to handle money. You can add columns. You can add uh, competency levels, for instance, uh, on the top. You can... Now filter by show me people at Goddard working on LRO that have competency level threes in cryogenic engineering, and I got this subset of 15 people. And there are other options, moving, uh, changing the model, changing the data source, uh, changing the columns, changing the goal column, all of that stuff. Oh, and, and that was a, that was a picture of, uh, of Brian's new Harley-Davidson, which he's very proud of. So you can kill this movie because it looks like it's going to run. For me, it looks like it's running a second time. And let's uh, comfortably get back to PowerPoint charts where we can all, we can all rest and go to sleep. Um, so I'll go through these screenshots again because I know it was kind of quick. Um, so on chart 13... I've got um, an, an and-or query going, show me anybody at Goddard and at Langley that is working on the GLORY mission and has the following three competencies, and I came up with this, this Eric guy. Um, and chart 14 is sort of a, a, a different view. I just sort of straight across. I've gotten some information on uh, John McManus. This is an old slide. John's not with us anymore, so I figured I would give you his contact information. Uh, chart 15 um, this is another one where I'm doing an alternate path. Show me um, I had headquarters and then this particular project with a background in business, and, and uh, I, then I'm saying, okay, Show me, show me everybody at headquarters that um, uh, that has this subcompetency, and it, it somehow came up with me as a subcompetent person. On uh, chart 16 is just another one of the touch graphs where you can sort of see comfortably that you get a different cut of the uh, of the information in a way where you can make a choice as to. Are there any people on the star pattern that I recognize that I could ask a question of and get further down into the details? Charts 
17, basically the same thing, and not very interesting. Uh, chart 18, this is the experiment of how I'm connected um, in order to do that. At, at one time, you'll see I blanked a lot of the information out, but Brian McCall is also my, uh, my privacy manager at NASA headquarters. He told me I didn't have to actually blank any of these things out, so that's good. Um, pops in context. Let's go to chart 19. So I've been yammering about, about this thing, Pops. First, um, it's this query browser, and then there's a data model that it queries, and the data model is, uh, is uh, filled with data sources from live sources down close uh, to the people that care about them. So, and for, for those of you that are in large organizations, if you've ever seen, if you've ever been part of a group where you're, uh, they do an application consolidation, uh, the, the first thing that happens when someone takes a system away from an office is that original office says, well, you know, that thing used to work pretty good until those monkeys from headquarters took it from me. And then the next thing that happens is, some some subterranean system, some subsystem emerges that that provides the functionality that got lost when the thing was consolidated. So here's sort of a different approach. Keep the information, keep those systems down close to the people that really care about them. Later, as you start building SOAs, you're going to want those people to promote their stuff as a service anyway, and you'll be able to deprecate repli uh, the ones that are duplicates through that process, not necessary now. So um, so what does this darn chart say? We wanted to make sure that we could, uh, uh, I'm sorry, getting ahead of myself. Let me just sort of um, point out that uh, the original concept for this uh, came from M-Space, those of you at home, Google up M-Space, all lowercase. And we worked with the University of, uh, of Southampton in the UK to grab that original code and then sort of beef it up, make it a Java applet instead of a web app, and add a bunch of features to it. Maria and all those people in Southampton have been great. Uh, Clark Parsia, LLC, uh, both here and in, uh, in the UK, helped a lot with the general concept and with doing a lot of the heavy coding and really created the, the darn thing. Uh, what's it do? It gives you these polyarchical queries. It's perspectival. Uh, the reason it, 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 the reason we could show who knew Brian McCall in the movie is because he logs in as Brian McCall and it makes some, uh, it, it, so it gives you a, it gives you a view of the data from your perspective, if you will, and that's kind of cool. Um, easy to add data sources. We've got that down kind of to a science now. It's uh, shareable, but I don't think that's the way you spell shareable. Shareable annotations, I didn't show that, but we've got something akin to an annotate. If I make an assertion that Gene Home can handle money, I can annotate that on a separate copy of the knowledge base and then distribute that 
as something that, from my experience, I can incrementally add that feature and not have to change any of the original data sources. That's kind of a nice feature. And you can RSS that as well. So, um, nah, nothing else really strikes me as interesting on that chart, actually. So I'll go to chart 20. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's an expertise locator, but really it's, it was a way that uh, we were using to illustrate to the rest of NASA a, a sort of a larger view of the world. Wouldn't it be great if you could just ad hocly query across various data sources? And in order to do that, wouldn't it be great if the data sources had some way of being able to pop up and say, hey, you know what, I, I've got some valuable information for the stuff that you are trying to do. You didn't think about, you didn't even know I existed, but let me, let me expose some of these data elements to you so that you can use them in order to make a good decision, in order to make an, a decision within a time box without unintended consequences. Um, so that's the problem on page 21. It's totally difficult, as we know, to try and find information that you know is out there. But what people don't talk about is, you know, how do you discover the information that you weren't aware of but that's critical for your decision-making? And how do you do that in an environment like NASA's where the problem and we have we got a lot of data. We got exabytes of data just from the Martian system alone. And that pales compared to what we are going to have in it, it's similar by the way to what we have in Earth science, and both of those together is pales compared to what we're going to have for uh our mission to the moon and uh, our manned mission to Mars coming up. So uh, lots of diversity, lots of different nomenclatures uh, across lots of different kinds of science and engineering domains, uh, some differences in natural languages, lots of computer languages. I, I, we, at NASA, we like to say we've got uh, one-of-a-kind systems, uh, but we also have last-of-its-kind systems. So we've, we've got sort of a mix of everything. Um, use case scenarios and requirements change all the time. So the traditional thing of trying to build a, uh, a, a report, a query, based on um, your known customer requirements is kind of the wave of the past. What we have to do is start building systems to allow people to browse through the information that makes sense to them in a way that you don't have to keep on going back and changing schemas or generating new writers are doing any of that stuff because that, that I mean that stuff just doesn't scale it's a nice little money maker for applications development groups but it I just don't think it's uh, the way forward and that's because we can't anticipate in advance how people are going to use or repurpose information so the challenge on 22 is integrate information from all these disjointed sources without upsetting the, the, the people that built them to begin with, not upsetting their budgets, not telling them, hey, you gotta rewrite your application in OWL, uh, or anything like that. And without, of course, NASA's broke, you know, we don't have any money, so we're, yeah, I, the, the administrator says that for tech transfer, what the Russians are teaching us is how to do something with nothing. I think that's probably true. Um, how was this inspired? Well, some of it because of semantics, but on chart 23, 
because of, of, of the programmable web, because people are doing mashups all the time. I mean, this is, this kind of makes sense. You start building your applications in, in a way so that they can be uh, used, repurposed, recombined in new thoughtful ways. You can uh, combine uh, Google Maps with Craigslist, but you can also do it with uh, what bars have good happy hours, you know, depending on uh, what your requirements or desires are. So how to go about all this? Well, um, formalizing information models on 24 um, is kind of important for us. Uh, I won't, it's an ontologue group, so I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to sing to the choir, but ontologies are useful so that you can get uh, correctness. So, and I, I don't mean truth, I really mean correctness. And also to prepare for what we all believe will be, the, or many of us believe, will be the eventual semantic upshift. So that you really have this Web 2.0 mashup type of universe, except being able to run not just polyarchical queries, but being able to run inference across many instances of models. Uh, 25. My message to all the ontologists out there, Knowing how to write an ontology is probably the easiest part and the least significant part of this problem, in my professional opinion. Uh, part 26, it's because this is, a, and this is a very, 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 very small subset of what is needed. You need model libraries, data access agreements, data assurance standards and mechanisms, model assurance, standards and mechanisms. Um, you need nomenclature management, maybe something compared to what SNOMED is doing in the EU, where if Peter says, uh, Peter says turquoise and I say aqua, there is some mechanism before publication that matches up and says if there is an overlap, an alignment, or a duplication there. Um, same thing with metadata pre and post publication. Um, the ad hoc use of logic at atomic levels. I'll, I'll spend three minutes, two minutes on this. Uh, for lunar exploration, we will build a model. We will build a rover. NASA has built rovers for Mars. It would be nice if we could go back to the rovers that we built for Mars, take out. Martian gravity and put in lunar gravity. Take out Martian regolith, read dirt, and put in electrostatic charged moon regolith and dust and not lose the integrity, the overall utility of the model. In order to do that, models will need to be constructed in such a way so that you understand who authored them, what the validation was, what the verification was, and can you break them up in logical pieces so that you can change things out? You can change the size of the wheel and say, underneath this level of gravity, with this much force and this much energy, I will be able to climb this incline with this weight in this regular, which is kind of the need. Um, ESB integration uh, would not be surprised if uh, large organizations like us that have multiple enterprise service buses 
end up trying to figure out how to integrate uh, a subset of those ESBs together. And, of course, you need an application interface agreement for lots of different stuff. Um, thinking Amazon has figured this out, and uh, that's probably a good model. And, and I, I may have actually stolen without realizing it. I'll give him attribution here. Uh, Werner Vogel's phrase of information infrastructure at the top of the slide. So continuing to speak fast and flip charts just like grad school, here's uh, uh, 27. And, you know, this is sort of a standard depiction of just about anything these days. But the sense of it is that those, those vertical boxes on the side are really a lot of the hard stuff. That's the hard stuff. How do you build models in a registry so that they are discoverable as a service? Um, interface control documents and service level agreements. How do you get those standards read the way Amazon did it so that all of your dispersed systems talk within a particular frame? Um, how do you do the metadata and nomenclature publication? Uh, how do you provide the data access requirements and, L and expose your access rights to applications at a more abstracted level so that customers can get into it or they can see that it exists and then have to make a step in order to get access? This is, I mean, when you come to the implementation, these are the big, big, big challenges, I think. And um, that's all i got to say on this topic today. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Andy. So what I want to do is um, now move to, uh, to letting others from the uh, Leadership Council here talk about some of the things that the, the organizing committee, talk about some of the things that they've looked at and, and that they've observed as we've gone through this series. So, um, Peter, we talked a little bit about some of these uh, the other day, but um, if if, as each speaker comes in, if uh, you're going to say anything, just remember hit star three, I think it is, Peter, to, to unmute so people can hear you. Yes. Um, maybe okay. we should find out uh, who from the organizing committee uh, actually online with us uh, now. So I, I heard Susan and Ken and yourself. Right. Uh, Denise was supposed to join us, yeah. too. Is Denise this, already online? Yeah. This this is Susan, but I have to cut off a little before three. I'll let you go first. So, so oh. we know who, okay. who can go first. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Uh, why don't we uh, – uh, is Denise online yet? No? Uh, okay. Maybe, maybe we'll go in this order. Is Susan – Ken, Ken and uh, Peter. Peter and Denise. Okay. Okay, great. Well, um, uh, thank, thank you, everyone, and I will be very brief, but I just want to say I appreciated very much what I have learned from both participating on the organizing committee and from the sessions itself. I'm actually particularly um, 
uh, appreciative for the fact that the sessions are um, recorded and archived. I unfortunately missed, looking back, I realized I missed about half of them, and I am uh, going back to listen to them. I, I think the series itself is a testimony to the um, sense of purpose and need that the different communities have expressed. I'm delighted that there, we have been able to through the great efforts of the uh, uh, people who've taken the lead here, I would name Peter Yim and uh, Jean Holm uh, among some of the others, that we've really demonstrated that it is possible to form these lightweight learning communities that I think will have quite lasting impacts as people might, like myself go back to uh, continue to learn and as more people um, find the materials. And I think I, I like the fact that we've left so many tracks that allow people to replicate both how we are working to speed the rate at which we can learn, whether it continue to be in these important topics, which are really inter intersection topics that um, the the returns I feel for each of the communities become multiplied when, you know, you can have that uh, lightweight draw. And it's almost like the, the wonderful principles that uh, Andy just shared with his approach where you maintain the integrity of the ecological niches, the, the information domains, and it's, it's supported best by those uh, close to it who understand the, the data assets, but then it can be lightly drawn and the, the benefits of the whole can um, be appreciated at the at the kind of the processing level, we've, we've seen how powerful that is, and I think at the people organizing level as, as well. And I feel that I learned a lot also from the um, session by Yoke Benkler, uh, the emphasis on this new source of capacity, particularly for governments and non-government organizations, and what he described as the uh, centralized sharing and exchange networks. I mean, in, in effect, um, we, this, this group, uh, all of the participants and contributors are a good example of that. So uh, again, I want to thank um, people for the opportunity to participate and really thank all of those that, um, that have contributed and look forward to um, doing another round. And uh, maybe I'll just conclude by saying um, actually um, supporting as of yesterday I'm working uh, part-time in a, in a new uh, uh, assignment for me but supporting virtual collaboratories the earth science grid um, some of the collaboratories that are supported by the Department of Energy Office of Science so again I look forward to what I've learned that I can take into these new settings and continue to span the communities that I know can be more effective as they can draw from one another. So, thank you. Thanks, Susan. Appreciate that and appreciate all of your help in case you're not on the line when I give thanks at the end. Okay. <laughs> yes, thanks. Sorry, I have to drop off early. You're an inspiration. Oh. <laughs> um, Ken, do you want to share a few things that you've uh, observed through the series? Yes. Uh the uh, the series I felt was just uh, amazingly successful. 
the uh, tremendous diversity of the uh, presentations and uh, the real insights that all of these presentations are bringing us were really quite impressive. Um, but you know, in a way, the diversity is both an advantage and a disadvantage. Um, I found that there was just so much there and it's so diverse that I felt like I really needed to build an ontology and use some knowledge management tool just to just to begin to understand everything that was in the mini, in the mini series alone. It was really uh, there's just an amazing amount of material there. Um, so and there were a few points I actually been looking through all of these uh, presentations again, and uh, I find that uh, one in one of them. He, a good point was made about how ontologies are, uh, you shouldn't think of the possibility that there's just going to be a universal ontology for everything. The purpose that you use, that you have for the ontology, what, you, what you're trying to achieve, um, certainly has a, has a big impact on what your ontology is going to be and what your knowledge management system is going to be. The kinds of knowledge that you'll acquire, for example, is, is really affected by by what you're intending to do. Um, there were some very nice uh, sense-making talks where they talked about um, uh, ontologies for analyzing argumentation and uh, decision-making processes. Uh, it's very interesting to see all the, uh, you know, how the ontologies uh, fit into that framework. Um, and the, you know, they really look very different in many ways from the ontologies for, say, traditional search and retrieval. Um, and this kind of brings me to my, um, my last point, is that uh, it's, a common, it's common to think of ontologies as just being a, a, a kind of a subcategory, a subclass of, of search, as if this is just part of the field of, of uh, retrieval, like, like you do nothing else with ontologies but uh, queries. Uh, in fact, the diversity of applications that are starting to emerge uh, that really are not that closely connected to to traditional search and retrieval is really quite impressive. Um, and I think a number of these talks are bringing that out. Um, so I think it it would be it would be nice if we could start seeing more of that uh, in the uh, in the Ontolog series. Um, the, um, the, I can think of some, I, I, I have a number of examples myself that I know of. I know that many other individuals have examples that they would like to, uh, to convey of, of the kind of new applications that are emerging. Um, perhaps that would be a good, a good source of uh, perhaps a follow-on miniseries. Uh, so I, I just want to convey just how enthusiastic I am about uh, how about this series, about how it uh, presented so much, such diversity, such an interesting collection of presentations, and how it really just whets, whets one's appetite for moving on to uh, even uh, you know other kinds of applications and other uh, uh, examples of how ontologies, knowledge management, uh, and all the all the aspects of the Ontolog Forum uh, uh, impact. Uh, the various applications that are emerging today. Okay. So I 
who's uh, yeah, who's next on the? Okay, Ken, thanks. I, I, I can appreciate your uh, feeling when you said you felt like you needed an ontology to just figure out all of the, the linkages between everything. I kept thinking of all of this as some big sort of meta map and watching, looking at data flow diagrams and UML diagrams <laughs> between all of the activities. But um, yeah. it, it is a, a complex space and one which I'm really glad that we started to try to create that shared understanding. I appreciate Thanks. the comments, and I appreciate your work also on the organizing committee. Thank you. Um, Peter? Thank you, Jean. Uh, so, I mean, first of all, on behalf of Ontolock, I mean, we are really honored uh, to be able to collaborate with NASA and KMWG in this effort. And, of course, uh, several things have uh, happened in a few firsts for Ontolock. I mean, it's the first time we uh, had events featured in a world, virtual world setting, and uh, even for myself, I mean, I get to create a Second Life af avatar, which I had never done before, and that was extremely exciting. Uh, the first time even today uh, to show a movie during our virtual events. Uh, simple as that. I mean, we have not done it before. And by the way, Andy, it was Gene who suggested the movie format uh, yesterday. Um, and, of course, uh, the, uh, I mean, it, it, for, for us to work with uh, NASA is, is just uh, exciting uh, because besides being at the forefront of science, technology, and research, these guys actually have work to do. I mean, they have missions to accomplish, unlike uh, Ontolog, which is essentially a discussion forum. Uh, these people need to get things done, and uh, it's very refreshing, uh, which sort of conveni conveniently brings up the key points that I wanted to make, is that despite the fact that Ontolog is chartered to... Uh, discuss practical issues and stra strategies associated with the development and application of both formal and informal ontologies. Uh, this is actually the first mini-series that we had made a serious attempt to delve into issues that are more related to informal ontologies. I mean, we've done a lot of uh, formal ontologies ontology-related work, but for informal ontologies, uh, I mean, in terms of like share understanding, uh, sense-making, and so on, this is yet, uh, this is still the first time, and the outcome, uh, considering the quality of the discourse, the stellar speakers and panelists that we were able to invite to share their insights with us, the number and diversity of the participants that made contributions, I mean, all these were just astounding. Uh, and we, we managed to address a topic, I mean, both from a research as well as a pragmatic perspective this time. And uh, it's helping, I mean, to help us leverage what we know uh, by bringing computer systems into the picture, uh, ontologies are necessary. But then I 
100% or 110% agree with you, Andy, that it's not sufficient. And maybe, I mean, uh, making the ontology is an easy and a simple part of that uh, that formula. Uh, I, I almost uh, feel bad that this is coming to an end so soon, despite the fact that it's almost eight months already. And I do look forward to future collaboration with these wonderful colleagues, uh, Jean, Andy, and uh, the rest of the uh, organizing committee members uh, and the rest of the folks at uh, KM Working Group and NASA. Uh, this has helped already, I mean, in a lot of uh, collaborative uh, initiatives in particular. I mean, for Ontolog, the, the recent big thing is the uh, the uh, the, re uh, the discussion on the issue of open ontology repository, we, where we spent like three and four or three or four months uh, under the auspices of the ontology summit, and through this mini series, we were able to hook up with Rob Raskin and his. Uh, team doing the sweet ontology and Rob has committed to become part of the uh, OR effort as we move forward. I mean, I, I think this is very exciting. So in conclusion, I look forward to this uh, collective intelligence. I mean, the way uh, 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 the Doug Engelbart would have described it, or as Yokei Bankler uh, used the term uh, peer production. I mean, we are trying to use the peer production formula to harness knowledge uh, as we are doing this, and I hope this continues to help us solve our immediate as well as our grand challenges. So, back to you, Jean. Thanks. So, um what I wanted to do was just uh, talk about the two of the successes I've seen from the federal KM working group point of view and from a NASA point of view, and, uh, and kind of wrap this this um, up and then open up discussion. Oh, so the um, from the yeah, knowledge management. Too. Oh. Yeah. oh, I'm sorry. Oh. Did, did you want me to wait? I could do that. Oh, I'm sorry, Denise, are you there? Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, great. I'm sorry. I didn't realize. Go ahead, Denise. I, but I can wait. Nope. <laughs> Are you sure? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I just I, I just appreciated your um, giving me the opportunity to also echo what Susan and Ken said. Um, the one thing I would want to say is um, I think the series has given me a major opportunity to get information about what's going on in this environment, information I can't get anywhere else. Um, it's, it's, um, it's, it's real knowledge level. Um, it's not necessarily published information yet. So the only place I'm going to learn this information is in this environment. And this series was just a wealth of knowledge. Um, I even used it for some of my students um, this uh, semester. I asked them to actually look, to listen to um, some of the series um, uh, presentations. Um, I, I want to echo what Ken said as well. Um, I think we really broadened the perspective of what ontologies um, are and can be. 
um, in the series, and I really appreciate the fact that Peter reached out to some other communities that have been working sort of in a, you know, um, in, in a disconnected way and brought them in. So we sort of enlarged the community as well. Um, I would echo something else that Ken said. Um, I think I really felt like we were starting to talk about semantic applications. Um, not just, and we were focusing on ontologies, but really everything that we heard was about semantic applications and what they can be. Um, it gave us, I think it gave everybody a sen better sense of the level of services that we have to develop for the semantic web um, that will um, basically allow that the semantic web to develop. And I totally support what Ken just said, which is that you know, the semantic web is, or this, ontologies are about much, much more than just search. That's just one small consuming um, application. But I think the series really did a good job of, of emphasizing that. And um, I use this as a personal learning environment. Um, and um, I think you should also, the next time, or as you continue the series, or you launch other series, um, I. I think you should also publish this to people who are teaching in these areas so that they can leverage, um, that students can leverage um, all of the knowledge that's available in, these, in the series. But anyway, thank you for the opportunity to say something. Thanks, Denise. Is there anybody else from the organizing committee that I missed? No, okay. No, but we have several questions, uh, at least a couple of people uh, in one hand up uh, from the chat board. Maybe we should ask those who are on the phone if you have a comment to make, uh, sure. some okay. questions. Yeah, do a uh, one one press one one on your keypad now, and I guess for those who are in world, uh, send an IM to the moderator. And that sort of cues uh, everyone up. And Peter? Yes? I have just one real quick comment. I really want to thank everybody for coming and uh, expanding our new horizons by exploring cyberspace and participating with us in uh, Second Life and in the virtual world. Uh, it's been exciting for the virtual world team to, you know, to meet the new challenges and, and figure out how we're also practicing our own uh, uh, ontologies as well <laughs> in in a 3D space. So it's been very exciting, and uh, I just want to say thanks for uh, for allowing that part to participate. Wonderful. Thank you, Charlie. So, Peter, uh, who, was, who was speaking? Uh, that was Charles White uh, from Jet Propulsion Lab, our uh, co-host today in our uh, uh, our guardian angel for the second world, uh, second life. Yes, I, uh, I recognize world. now. Thank you. Okay, uh, one one now on your keypad if you would like to queue up. Okay, uh, I don't see any hands there. Maybe we, it, it, Gene, you want to move on to the uh, those who are on the uh, chat session. Um, I don't have any questions from in-world right now. 
All right. Okay. So uh, on the chat session, I've got uh, Ravi Sharma's hands up. Uh, Ravi? Uh, star three, Ravi. Can you hear me now? Peter? Yes, yes, yes. Is it it's loud speaker. and clear? Yeah, it, it, it could be louder, but but uh, go ahead. Um, first, a short comment to uh, Andrew Shane. Of course, I respect a lot of uh, work that has gone into this tool, but I think we need to move this database approaches into information-based, as you show in your last slide on information elements, and start developing information-based tools rather than data-based, because data seem to get us down into the uh, relational regime. So to move up in the ontology value chain or semantic value chain, we need to start developing tools that would be more value of information based, even though they may be narrow in terms of communities that these cater to. So that was just one comment based on a wonderful tool, and I like the mashup and uh, informal techniques used in this multidimensional tool. I wish we could do the same more semantically uh, in uh, information based tools. I would request your comment, Andrew. Okay. Uh, yeah, I 100% agree. Of course, uh, JSpace and the models that we use are semantic. Um, it's um, an RDF model. Uh, we didn't, uh, at the time, require uh, more expressivity. Otherwise, we'd have probably done it in OWL. Uh, it's loosely coupled to that model, so that's great. So absolutely agree with you. Developing... Um, uh, services that are semantically aware is kind of critical to the future. But uh, it's not a clean sheet of paper, and it's as much an integration issue, in my opinion, as it is a development issue. So the, 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 one of the challenges in building an information infrastructure like this is to really beat people with a carrot, beat them with the benefit of migrating legacy systems into something that's a lot more extensible. But uh, NASA does not have the money, nor is it probably in our best uh, interest for the near term to go around trying to convert every existing data source, which is, can be instruments as well as relational databases, uh, into something that is automatically semantically aware. Uh, instead, what we've tried to do is say, okay, look, if you're not native, you can speak to us through a semantically aware model. But if you are native, you can come directly in, and that gives them a lot of benefit. So it's a long-winded way of saying I agree. Wonderful. So does does that mean POPs has some uh, some of these OWL uh, connections or interfaces? Yep. The, well, JSpace, the browser, absolutely does. Wow. And then what we're doing is, for POPs, is we created a reference model using RDF, and we populated that RDF model with um, a .NET application, an Oracle application, an LDAP query, and HTML. 
just to prove that we could collect stuff from lots of disparate non-semantic resources and uh, apply them in a semantic way. It's possible to share this architecture. I'd love to see it a little bit. And the second question is on my lunar uh, transformation of rover. Kindly read my comment on the chat session. If you can't, then I just say that there are differences such as Martian atmosphere and the storms and different slopes and gravity considerations. So just substitution of gravity alone may not give you a lunar rover, but it will iteratively converge towards it. Well, I mean, I would, obviously, Robbie, it was just a, an exemplar. There's lots and lots of differences. Heck, there's differences between the dark side and sunny side of the moon in terms of electrostatic charges. There's, I mean, there's lots of differences. I could have used a different example, but I thought that one was no, more no, compelling. No, no, illustrations are always like that. You have to use something. Thank you. Um, one quick one for Jean is the same thing. Uh, you said that you were using um, different constituents uh, in a taxonomy approach when you opened your first few slides. Would Would you get better results if you were to use semantic approaches? Well, I think that's what we've learned partway through the series and what, what our research in our early pilots had been showing us along is we developed our taxonomy back in, I think, circa 2004 or so as a oh, first taxonomy. Okay. Okay. And so now we're, we're using that as, as one of many things in our toolbox as opposed to sort of the primary thing in our toolbox. Um, and so now we have the ability to, to do things like um, Andy's work with POPs and Rob Raskin's work with some of the earth science ontologies and Rich Keller's work on trying to organize science information because we've been able to move forward into the semantic technology field. Yes, uh, Jean, uh, thank you. I did participate with uh, Dr. Rob Raskin, uh, Dr. Lee Ping Di, and uh, some other specialists in the service and data ontology uh, subgroups uh, recently in Greenbelt. So I think that those that way uh, partly answers Andrew's question um, on uh, we, how we move to service ontologies from data. Thank you both for answering. Thank you. Pleasure. Peter, do you see other questions? I I don't have uh, further uh, hands or uh, indications. So uh, so back to Eugene. Okay. So just a couple of quick things then, and we'll just open it up for any other discussion. Um, so for the from the point of view from the Federal Knowledge Management Working Group, I think one of the things that Giora Hadar and I and Michael Cole had looked at when we kind of looked at the series as an opportunity was to reinvigorate some uh, very uh, intellectual discussion into that group. We'd, we'd gotten a lot of discussion about, you know, who's doing this or who's using this product or, you know, I need a quick benchmarking, but not so much uh, intellectual discussions on that, on that working group. And so I appreciate all of the emails that people have posted and the, um, 
the discussions that have crossed both the groups. We, as uh, Peter pointed out at the beginning, we've, we've cross-posted discussions to both um, the Ontolog and the Federal KM Working Group. And I think that's been really good. It's, it's given a lot of energy, and um, maybe it, it was serendipity, maybe it was coincidence, but I like to attribute it to, um, to, to the energy the Ontolog group brought into uh, our other group's discussion and, uh, and sort of spurring them on. So I really appreciate that. It also um, helps to connect theory to practice. The CAM working group tends to be a much more application practice oriented group. And I, I think that's a, a great connection to have made. Um, one of the, the things I just want to leave sort of with is, um, is talking about what happened this weekend at NASA with the landing of the Phoenix spacecraft on the surface of Mars. And just a, a story about how Thinking about these sorts of things at the beginning of creating a knowledge management or other kind of application can really make a difference. And it comes back to a lot of what um, sort of Andy helped me understand early on about it's not just looking for the information that we expect people to look for, but, but being open to knowledge discovery and um, serendipitous query. And so we developed the NASA public and internal portals um, over four years ago now, almost five years ago. And we developed them in a way where we tried to architect it so that people would be able to use them in lots of different ways, whether it's for what happened our first day, which is when we lost the Space Shuttle Columbia, um, and we had to have the system be used for um, dealing with that tragedy, or whether we've got, um, or whether it became the Mars rovers landing on the surface of the Red Planet, that the same infrastructure, the same taxonomy, the same information architecture, the same publishing processes and governance processes could be used for any kind of a capability for reaching out to the public or to, with, across, the, um, across our organization. And that really came home on um, this weekend as, as the science teams and the engineering teams were working to make sure that we got that lander safely on the surface of Mars. So um, Charlie White and I were in World, and, and so was um, Charles Dew, uh, to talk about and hold an event for how we um, hosted a, a landing event in Second Life so people could see the lander coming down and, and we put up the images as they came down and people stayed for, I think it was almost four hours on Sunday. So it was, it was quite a long event, but people really stayed. And it was in the back end, the scientists were using that same knowledge management infrastructure, the same information architecture that we had created five years ago to be able to share science data, to be able to go, when the first images came down, some of the scientists said, you know, this reminds me of something I saw from Viking or from MER, or a previous mission that could have happened 10, 20, 30 years ago. And they were able to just grab those images quickly and serendipitously across um, all of that infrastructure because we had them all available. And, and it points to being able, if you can architect something that way, the first time or, or, or be able to develop that architecture over a small period of time, then when an event comes up like this or an emergency for your agency or a critical event, that you don't have to worry each time about how you're going to handle it, that the capabilities there for people to be able to use it in ways that are useful to them instead of ways that you can predict from your own um, use cases and architecture. So that was just a a way to kind of try to think about how all of these capabilities came together um, in a very immediate way for us at NASA. So um, the last slide is just a, a thank you to um, all of you for sharing what you've learned 
um, and sharing your questions and help to probe discussion with the people on this series. And a very special thank you to the um, organizing committee members who spent many, many a Tuesday morning talking and, and planning and trying to see how we could um, pull this together. So from those of you, those that we heard from today, as well as Kirk Conrad, Leo Orbs, Nancy Faget, um, Steve Ray, and, uh, and um, the others who, who helped. So just a great big thanks. So um, here I was just going to open it up to see if there is any other discussion and questions, um, whether it's about POPs or what's going on in the series so far. Okay. Already. So. Is this the, I guess this is now the formal conclusion of the eight-month mini-series for ontologies and knowledge management for decision support. Um, if you missed any session and you want to go back, of course, everything's up on the Ontolog wiki. Um, the, uh, both the audio as well as any associated information that, that came with each of the presentations. If there's anything any of you would like to follow up with um, anybody on the organizing committee, certainly with Peter or I or Andy, um, please feel free to, to contact us at any time. And again, a great big thanks.